seated. Please be seated. Nice to have you back, Andy, singing with us. I love I missed your voice. It was great to have you with us today. Yeah. Morning. So I'm Becca. I am Neighborhood Church's youth director, and I have a few announcements <laughs> I'm going to draw attention to in your bulletin. One is really exciting. Um, May 7th, we have our National Day of Prayer. So all the churches gather in front of the library over here. We all band together and pray. And that's everyone's invited students, people that can slip out of work for a little bit, just an hour where we all just praise God and lift up all of University Place and any other issues that are coming up to pray together for that. And then also another cool thing we're doing together is Compassion Weekend. So you probably saw these cards when you came in. They are different local community service projects that we're going to be doing as churches in the whole area. So any need that was brought up to them, they took on and they said that we have people that are coming. So on faith, we're hoping that people show up and take on all these projects. And in your bulletin, it shows you how you can sign up to get involved in different ones. You can do that with a group, by yourself. Um, there's a lot of cool different things for all different skill levels. So cool. So here's Fred. Um. You didn't know that's my daughter, so uh, thank you. There is other things in the bulletin. There's quite a menagerie of things that you can participate in. We'd love to have you be part of it. Do you ever hear the expression, the day after? When I say the word the day after, is that a positive thing or a not a positive thing? What do you think? It depends. It depends. Yeah, it depends. Sometimes people say, you know, the day after this bad thing happened and nothing was ever the same. <laughs> and then there's the day after, what we refer to as the resurrection or Jesus rising from the dead, and everything changed for the good, for the positive. It changed. That's what resurrection is all about. Now, you, you think it might be strange for me to talk about it the week after Easter, but did you know the early Christians, the reason we, they met on Sundays and the reason we met on Sundays because Jesus rose from the dead on the first day of the week. So I'm wondering, what did the disciples do the day after, or the week after, or the months after the resurrection? What did they do to sustain what Jesus was trying to do in them and through them? I think something that shifted, that things were never going to be the same again after Jesus rose from the dead. For Jesus has a way of restoring us. He has a way of restoring who we are. In fact... Paul said this, since you have been raised with Christ, set your th hearts on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. Set your hearts on things above. Great advice, but it was more than advice because for all of us, we're thinking we're supposed to set our hearts and our minds on things above, but there's a lot of stuff here that's kind of really present in our lives. And to set our sight on some things above seems so ethereal, so out there. Set your hearts on things above. Because I believe when Jesus came, he came to restore all things, both the things within me and the things without me. He came to bring it back in sync. And I love that scripture because it says, you need to look up. You need to set your sights above the things that would normally preoccupy your thinking. So, but what would it look like to live that way, to live in this awareness that the resurrected Jesus is, away, is, is present with us? 
What if we lived, what would it be like if we could live in a moment-by-moment realization that he is present? That's what we're going to talk about today. This happens, I think, when our soul is directly connected with God's soul. The uh, kind of, the old, just a general idea where I got the idea is, is from this book by John Ortberg called Soul Keeping. Some of you are readers and maybe you would like to read this book and go online to get it. If not, um, we're not necessarily following exactly the book, but this is kind of where we got the idea. Well, let's talk about our souls for a while. Let's talk about what that, that means. Soul keeping is caring for the most important part of you. Hey, it's me. Uh, um, who's that? The, the voice you've been ignoring but can't seem to shut me out? This voice seems very familiar. <laughs> You may not have noticed me for a while, but I'm here. Well, I don't know who this really is. Who is this? Who am I? I'm your soul. Now, you may never have heard a voice like that, although that sounds a lot like my dear wife. (laughs) Where your soul is speaking to you, but if your soul could speak to you, what would it say? I think sometimes it is, but for whatever reason, we get busy or distracted or bogged down, and we ignore this internal part of us called our soul, our soul. Do you ever get to a point where what's going on in here was out of sync with what was going on out there? You could tell there's something weighing your soul down. I remember a few years ago, sitting in a church office and frustrated because it seems like nothing was going my way. Things were not being accomplished that I thought should be accomplished. And it basically, I came to a point where it says, this is not working. But not, it wasn't really about the job or the office. It was about something in here that wasn't right. And I felt like I was drifting from what God had called me to do. I was out of sync with the way I believe God had made me. And I think I had ignored the most important part of my life, which is my soul. It happens all the time. We see glimpses of it in the news. Again, one more priest or politician is caught doing something horrible, immoral. What happened? I think they lost track of their soul. Either it slowly faded away and they let themselves open to some things that they would never have thought they would be caught doing or they never really had their soul in sync with God. It happens with people who are in control sometimes of people's money and they, and, and they, they use their other people's money for their own gain. And you've seen companies collapse because of that. What happened to their soul? It shows up in breakdowns, and it shows up in breakups. All of us have an external part of our life, the public part that we show each other. And we have this internal part also. And when that's out of sync, I believe that's when my soul begins to suffer. People have, can get their play, to a point where they're disconnected in their, with their soul. Well, what is the soul? Well, a soul isn't an easy thing to define. But I'll give you a couple of glimpses from Scripture. The Hebrew word really talks about the real self. Your soul is your real you. 
Now, you have a body, and that's part of who you are, but it's the real you. The, actually, the word soul comes from the same word where we get the word to breathe. Everybody take an inhale with me. And exhale. The soul comes from the same word, the Hebrew word, which means to breathe. Because in the beginning, God said, he breathed on man, and he became a living soul. He breathed on mankind, and that person became alive. The soul. I would suggest to you that the soul is that living part of you, that center of you that was created for you to commune with God. Answer this the best you can. If only, you fill in the blank, I'll let you in on what we're going to talk about here, then I will have the life I always wanted. Now, I want you to be real. Think about your week. Have you ever said, if only this, then I can have the life I always wanted? If only this. Now, don't go thinking, you know, like the best answer, the right answer. Think about the way we really live your life. What would you fill in the blank? If, I, if only this, then I would have the life I wanted. Would it be a relationship? Would it be a job? Would it be uh, finances? Could it, could it be your health? If only this, then I could have the life I've always wanted. I would suggest to you that that fill-in-the-blank thing, if only this, then I could have the life I wanted to, is often the thing that motivates us from the very core of our soul. Our soul moves into the energy of that space, so to speak. So I have to really guard that because my desires are pretty big and sometimes I've said, if only I felt this, if only I had this, if only I had this, then I could have the life I've always wanted. That can be the driving force that motivates me. I would say that the soul is where the energy that you have in, within you helps you do what you want to do without you. One spiritual writer, Dallas Willard, says this, the soul if you take care of it, it becomes strong and gives you the ability to do what your body, your mind, and your heart cannot do alone. Why? It's the place where God connects with you and you connect with God. Today's dilemma is that many souls are lost souls. And if you read his book, it's not about a destination, it's about a condition. People that are confused people that burden down, people that are anxious, people that don't understand where their life is taking them. There's a disconnect of something they've been ignoring in their life that's slowly shrivering, sh uh, sh uh, shrinking within them. Something pulling them down. Maybe you've been there where you felt like, you know, I just don't have time for this. You know, you get all anxious and concerned. And so I don't have time for this. I have to get on with life. And then your soul starts to lose its uh, orientation with you. One great Christian I found that I, I think is a great example of what we're going to talk about is a man named Frank Laubach. Frank Laubach lived an average life. He came to a point in his life where he could look at some of his past and he could say, you know, there's quite a bit of my past that's already gone. And then he could look toward the future and go, you know, I wonder what's going to happen in the future. And he was feeling like he was stuck. He's, he, something had to change. What changed for him? He was a missionary. He was a writer, wrote over 50 books. He started a, a program call, called Each One 
Teach One, a literacy campaign. Get this, over 60 million people in their own language learned to read because of his Each One, Teach One campaign. He was an influential spokesman about illiteracy and poverty and injustice. But something that people don't see about his external accomplishments is what happened within him. Something happened. He came to realize that this present moment is full of God. This moment. He wrote this book called Practicing the Presence. And in the beginning of it, he says this. He started this experiment. I wonder what would it look like if I could have a moment-by-moment -moment realization that God was here. I'm going to venture out for the next couple months, and I'm going to explore to do my best to have a moment-by-moment -moment realization that God is really here. And this is what he says. This year, I started to live all my waking moments in conscious listening to the inner voice, asking without ceasing, what, Father, do you desire in this minute. Is this possible? Is it possible to actually live in a moment-by-moment -moment realization that God is very present every moment of the day? I think this has been a, con a concern of Christians for a long time, wanting to know and experience the presence of God every single moment. It was expressed uh, by, this, by a prayer that I'm going to read to you that was made popular a few years ago, quite a few years ago, by a musical called Godspell. Actually, it was written by a guy named Richard D. Wick, and his, he was a bishop in the 1200s, and he says this, Thanks be to God, my Lord Jesus Christ, for all the benefits you have given me, for all the pains and insults that you have borne for me. O most merciful Redeemer, friend and brother, may I know thee more clearly love thee more dearly, and follow thee more nearly, day by day. Sounds impossible? I think it is possible. But it does take work. All of us have things that we work at. It does take work. And what he discovered was even though it took work, there was a huge blessing to it. He says this, this concentrate on Concentration upon God is strenuous, but everything else has ceased to be so. He was willing to put effort to live in the moment with God, moment by moment. And it was effort to get to that place, but then everything else ceased to be so. Oh, to live like that, that nothing seemed like work except we were going to work at knowing him more dearly, nearly, and understand our lives more clearly. How do we begin this journey? Well, this is where I love the way the King James brings out one of the scriptures that David said to us. He said, to you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in you. If your soul, I don't know where it is. Is it here? People have tried to measure it. After somebody dies, they weigh them and they see a little bit of their soul, a little bit of weight difference there. Some of you have been aware that there's, there's something larger than just this physical existence. You know your soul's supposed to go on forever to live with God, but you'll never be without a body. You're never going to be this listless spirit of flying through the air like that. You always have a body, but it'll be a different body. To lift up your soul, what would it be like? To begin this journey, how would I do this? This is what I like to propose to you. To lift up our soul is to take my soul, everything that concerns me, 
Maybe the things that are weighing my, me down, distracting me, things I'm not really happy about, I'd love to see changed. And I lift it up to the Lord. Instead of trying to do it on my own willpower, sure willpower will only take you so far. But I lift it up unto the Lord. Oh, Lord, I will lift up my soul unto the Lord. Oh, my God, I trust in you. Because Israel had often got it wrong, as, as many of a non uh, Believers throughout uh, history have gotten it wrong. They've lifted up their souls to other things. David says this, Who can ascend to the hill of the Lord? Or who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean heart, hands and a pure heart, who has not lifted up his soul to an idol. Something that is false. Something that cannot actually satisfy my soul, your soul. To live this way is where your inner world and your outer world are in harmony with one another. And if you've been there, you know what it's like. You know what it's like. It's in sync. It's right. It's good. Or what one writer said, it's well with my soul. The question is, how do we do that? How do we do that? How do we become in a place where my soul communicates with God and he with me on a moment-by-moment -moment basis? Do I do it by sheer willpower, as I said earlier? Jesus said this, live in me and let, my, and let me live in you, for without me, you can do nothing. I often pondered that scripture. He said, basically, you live in me and let my words live in you, because without me, you can do nothing. I'm thinking, I can do some things without you. I can get up in the morning, I can brush my teeth. I can drive my car. I can paint the house. He wasn't talking what we can accomplish in our own willpower because there's many things you can do. But there's one thing that you cannot do by willpower alone. And that is where, to a point where that you can become all that God had created you to be. You cannot will that into existence. All you do is you lift up your soul and he does the work in you. The work comes from us just opening up our soul to him. But he's the one that works on us. How can I place myself in an environment where I have a moment-by-moment -moment realization that I'm connected with God? I think Jesus gave us the clue. Stay, live, abide, be here with me. Take some moments with me. As Frank Laubach did, he took a two-month challenge and he said, I am going to do every, I'm going to exert everything I can to live in that moment. And this is what happened. I have found several things happening to me over the past few months. I think more clearly. I forget less frequently. Things that I did with strain before, I now do easily and with no, with, with no effort whatever. I worry about nothing and I lose no sleep. Wouldn't you like to live that way? Is it possible for you? A lot of times there's interference, things that keep me from that. That's great. I'm, I'm glad that Frank lived this way. But I have some real concerns in my life. Questions that I need answering. Why? Where? How am I? When? Everyone has concerns and you have questions about life. 
When I look at my life and when I was thinking about times when I felt disconnected, even these past couple years when I've been in my doctorate, there's times when I thought I am going crazy trying to pull this thing off. And what I found out, what the disconnect was, I wanted to get control back in my life. The questions that were so huge, like how am I going to do this and when is this going to happen and why is this happening, were all concerned about taking control of my life. And I don't think God wants your life to be out of control. But there's some things that I cannot control, right? The person next to you, you cannot control. You cannot control what's going on in the White House right now. Lord, some of us would like to. <laughs> you can't even control yourself sometimes. I would suggest to you that control has to give way to cooperation. I think that's what Jesus was talking about. You can't control everything about your life. You have to let me be a part of it. Matthew 26, 24, the message version says it this way. Jesus went to work on his disciples. Anyone who tends to come with me has to let me lead. You're not in the driver's seat, I am. Oh, man. But I like to be in the driver's seat. I love to be in control. I want to pursue those questions that are bugging me about my life. He says, you're not in control. You're not in the driver's seat, I am. Do you ever ride with a, so you're the passenger and you're in a car with someone else and you would really like to just say, would you just pull over and let me drive? They're driving erratically or they're riding on the brake. My daughters, when they were first drive, learning to drive, I so wish I had a brake in the car and sometimes a steering wheel. But I knew that they had to learn to drive for themselves because they made me nervous. But if we're honest with each other, not only would we like to be in the driver's seat for ourselves, we kind of like to control everybody else out there also, right? Jesus says, you're not in the driver's seat. I am. This is the way it's said in the, in the New International Version. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will find it. What do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your own soul? Isn't your own soul worth all the energy it takes to be in that moment-by-moment -moment presence with God? Isn't it, it, won't it be worth it if you and I, for maybe the next couple months, would make every effort to do our best to live in a moment-by-moment -moment realization of his presence? You can ask what, where, why, and all that, but God desires one thing from us, Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Wait a minute. That doesn't answer my question. And I, I got that from a, a leadership book that I shared with my friend Bill here. The answer to how is yes. What? Yes. God may not answer my questions, but he is looking for a willing person to participate in this adventure of him creating, recreating, refreshing my soul. It's simply yes. You don't have to struggle. The thing is to get ourselves to yes, to get ourselves in a place where we're saying yes, 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 moment by moment. Well, I'd like to suggest that's the attitude God wants to have from us. Just when, like when a little girl picks, raises up her hands and says, Daddy, pick me up. Or a boy is up on the top of the bed and says, Dad, Mom, I'm going to jump. Catch me. 
It's that kind of yes to God, Daddy God, just saying yes to Him. What we need is a new habit. You and I are shaped by our habits, and our habits shape us. My willpower is limit, limited. And developing something, developing my soul is not automatic. I can't just bump myself through a life like a ping pong uh, and expect it to, to, to nourish and, and grow my life. A habit. John Ortberg says it this way, habits eat willpower for breakfast. Sometimes when my willpower does not seem strong enough to do what I think I want to see God to do in my life, habits have a huge power over my willpower. In fact, I would suggest to you, without those habits, your willpower is subject to all kinds of whims that come and go. To sustain any relationship, you need habits. You need habits. You can't say to a friend, I don't need, we don't need to really hang out and talk anymore because we already know everything about each other. I can't say to my wife, I said, you know, I'm not really going to, we're not going to serve you. I'm, I'm not going to talk much. We're not going to do anything together, though she might have felt this way the past couple of years with all my studying that I've done. And there are times, if you notice in any relationship, there's always a come close. No, no, let's back off. You ever notice that? There's a, this approach and this back off. You feel it sometimes. Sometimes you draw near and sometimes I can need some space here. But I couldn't say to develop a relationship, well, hey, I already know you, so I don't really need to spend time with you. That would be preposterous. To say that I knew God once and never to continue that relationship would leave you and I, our souls, very impoverished. We can't assume because I knew God or had an experience with God that now I know him and there's no more to explore. Soul keeping. I would like to you, with you, to join me on a journey for the next seven weeks. I'm calling it the seven-week soul challenge. I try to make it bite-sized. Lord, what would help me and you get a handle on living with this awareness of God? Where I would, and I said, it, for the next seven weeks, I would like you to take seven minutes, at least maybe three times a day, just for your own soul care. Just for your own soul care. I would say that would be the minimum. So you can fill on how many times during the day you want to do that. But find a, a seven-minute segment during your day. Perpetuate it as many times as you feel comfortable. And let's do it together for the se next seven weeks. I wonder if God would do something in us that maybe a sermon will not do on its own. That if you take time seven minutes sporadically throughout the day for your own soul care, I wonder if the things that burden you would be lifted. So here's how I put it together. I use the acronym SOUL, S, seek God. Pretty much that's what I've been talking about today. When I talk about lifting up our, my heart to the Lord, it, it's basically, this is the first step. We'll talk about some of them as we go on. Seek God. Get yourself focused and quiet. Jeremiah said, you will find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Because we live in a world, if we're honest, that little barnacles kind of cling to us during the week. Things that kind of suck the energy out of us and drain us down. And we need to seek God and let him kind of chip those things off on a regular basis. Because as those things come in, I, my heart gets anxious. Do you ever get yourself anxious? 
The Bible says an anxious heart weighs a person down. Oh my goodness, you've ever felt weighed down by your anxiousness? One Christian, Augustine, says this, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. I would encourage you, take some time to seek him. And here's how you do it. Take one or two minutes to clear your mind and totally focus on God. Now, some of you that have attention deficit disorders, it's going to be hard for you. Some of you know what that's like. Some of you don't have that, but you have a tendency to drift back to sleep. So here's the focus. Can you, for two minutes, focus just on the awareness that God is near? To lift up your soul before God and say, I'm going to spend the, I don't care what's going on. The world could explode. My to-do list are going to just be over here. Two minutes, that's how you do your, your, your seven minutes, to two minutes. I'm, my whole goal is just to focus on him. Whatever helps you focus on him. Then secondly, take a couple minutes and open your Bible. You have to do this ahead of time. I, I suggest taking a psalm and just one psalm, just one verse, and looking at that verse and meditating on that verse and letting your, your soul absorb what that scripture is saying to you. David said this, the instructions of the Lord are perfect, reviving the soul. So in my own self, I don't have enough. So I, I'm focused on God, then I take some time, that's the O, to open the Bible and hear something from him. You is utter a praise or a prayer. There's something that happens when I say a prayer, especially in agreement with something God al already says that changes my life. Jeremiah 6.16 says this, ask for the good way, walk in it, and you will find rest for your soul. And lastly, the most important is to listen to God. What is he saying to you? Over the next seven weeks, I would love, maybe at the end of your week, to write down some of the things that lo the Lord is sharing with you. And if you would, go to our website. There's a little place on our website that has um, a picture. There's our website, and you can't see it, but it's on the very, very far right-hand side, there's a little envelope. You can send us an email. And you can let us know what the Lord has been saying to you. I would love to hear and report what God, you don't have to put your name down. I won't mention your name uh, at all. But if you put it there, I probably will talk about it and, and I'll bring it up in the service without your name. But I'd love to hear, what is God saying to his people? Do we believe that he's going to speak to you in the next couple of weeks? One man, his name is Brian, took this two-month challenge. Brian was, had addictive behaviors. He was tended to give himself over to pleasure. Now, all of us can ex understand that a little bit, but he had a problem with alcohol, alcoholism and pornography. Never really settled down with any one woman. He didn't believe in God, but he ended up in his third DWI and in jail. And they sent him to AA. So he shows up there, and the first thing he learns, some of you have understood this, you've gone through this, the first thing he learns, admit you're powerless over this thing. Admit you can't, he can't handle it. it. Life has become unmanageable. And second, it says, believe that there's a power bigger than you that can restore you, your soul to sanity. And, and the third one was, make a decision to turn your life over to that higher power of God. That's where he freaked out. Oh, this is a religious thing. I don't believe in God. I don't want this. He resisted it completely. I don't know how he ended up in church, but he was challenged by this 
day or two month challenge. And he, um, he started just start thanking God for the little things in his life. He began to say, what moment by moment thing can I do in this relationship? And I'd like to read you what he said about his life. He went to church and he broke up with the woman who brought him to church. It wasn't a very healthy way because his old wounds had still not healed. But he he kept doing this two-month challenge to stay connected to God several times a day. My habits of looking lustfully at a woman and internet porn started to decline. I really didn't try. It just didn't appeal to me in the same way. In fact, it rarely crossed my mind. That's the beauty of God's hand in our lives. I don't have to struggle with a decision because there was no decision. God was taking that impulse away. That's something that you all struggle with. Here's a great way to overcome whatever controls your life. Jesus changed my whole mindset toward women. Instead of seeing a woman as an object, I looked at them as as a human being in a total different way. Amazingly, God had given him a a beautiful woman to marry and he had a healthy relationship with her. Another person was apathetic to this whole challenge. I don't really care about spending, I'm not going to do this challenge. I'm bored with it. This does not appeal to me. What difference will it make? This man named Darren said, for a while, I was in apathy toward God. I didn't want to do his will. I didn't want, I just didn't care. So I said, okay, well, I'll pray. God, I don't care. Would you help me with my apathy? This, God eventually scraped this off and the, 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 the sinful things that started to control me that I said, Lord, I don't even know if I want to give this thing up. I don't want to give this thing up. I can't do it on my own. Well, God delivered him from shame and guilt. He teched the challenge and he said, God didn't make me perfect, but I'm astounded at his grace, patiently molding my desires. When I think about me, when I was going through times where I felt bogged down, where I was resisting him, I found that as I spent the the, the moment-by-moment relationship with him, that things began to lift. Uh, I've been doing that for the past few weeks with my friend Ralph here. We've been spending concentrated times in prayer. And it's amazing how much your heart becomes lighter. That the things that, you, that preoccupied you, that you thought that he could never get control over, he, he takes them from you. He has tremendous power. Habits eat willpower for breakfast. You want to change your life? I will be glad to pray with you in just a moment and believe that God would work in your life. But it will take some work from you too. So my challenge to you is how many times during the day would you take a seven-minute break to work on your soul? When you leave today, I'm going to give you a bookmark and it has soul marked out, S-O-U-L, and just an abbreviated version of what I just said. If you have no other, if you're not doing anything in your life right now to kind of sustain that moment-by-moment relationship with God, this will change your life. Whether you're apathetic or you're addicted or just stinking frustrated, 
When you do this, it will change your life. But it will take effort because most of us aren't used to, in this instant society, in this in a soundbite society, to have any sustained time to really think about our souls. But as you do, you'll find yourself catching up with yourself. That your soul, that you and you will be connected. And then you and other people, you'll find that the relationships start to shift and you and God will change also. Would you, with me, for the next seven weeks, do this challenge? And I am anticipating great stories among us because you are willing to take that effort. If you blow it, you get right back in and establish this habit. We'll talk about it for the next seven weeks. And if it becomes a permanent part of your life, amazing how lighthearted you could be in your soul. Would you pray with me? Lord God, thank you, Lord, for giving us a soul. You breathed life into us and made us a living soul. There's something of you that you've given to us that you gave to another, no other created thing. That we can be in communion with you. That we can participate in a relationship with you. I believe that early in that first garden with Adam and Eve, as they walked in the cool of the evening and they talked to their Savior or to their Lord and God, that that was what you wanted for mankind. And Jesus said, if you live in me, my words live in you, ask whatever you wish, and it shall be done. So Lord, I thank you that your grace is free, that you love us without conditions. It's not our willpower that makes us Christians. But Lord, we need to put habits into our life that create space for you to enter into our lives. We need to create an environment that welcomes you throughout the week, not just on Sunday, maybe not even just the beginning of the day, but throughout the day that we can perpetually be aware of your sweet, loving, powerful, moment-by-moment -moment presence. No one looking around. If that's you, we're going to say, you know what, I've been struggling in my soul. And I need God to refresh me. Would you just lift up your hand real quick and write back down. I need a refreshing in my spirit, okay? I need God to refresh me. I need God to do that. I'm going to pray that this will be a beginning of a refreshing with God. As David said, in your presence is fullness of joy. Father, I pray for those, Lord, who we have admitted, Lord, that our souls have gotten a little weary been burdened down just by life and we need you Lord so we lift up our souls would you raise your hands and, Lord we lift up our souls just lift them up before the Lord we lift up our souls do with them as you will do something surprising in us something that we never thought possible before that yes we can move into that place where you are Lord we lift up our soul to you